I don't think I ever really felt that way to any appreciable degree. Uh, I never had that anger. That's an interesting. That's an interesting observation. I was certainly angry as fuck. Um, yeah. Well, I know that, <laughs> but <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Episode six, recorded September second, twenty twenty one. It's pretty wild how much of this shit I had not even heard of before. Uh, how many of these? Uh, well, I guess that was just the pre-show really but boy what a weird lineup this was yeah 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 um so we're talking about uh woodstock 99 um specifically the documentary on hbo yeah 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 so this is i you know uh, this is thursday thursday september 2nd is the day we're recording this good call so uh woodstock 99 Peace, love, and rage—is that what it was called? I think so. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but I, I don't know. I figured this would be a cool thing to talk about because, for one, it, it has a lot of bands on it that were peace, love, and rage were uh, important to us during this time period, or important to like the next stage of our musical development, in a sense. And so, because we would have been 16, around 16 years old when this happened. And so. Yeah. Um, I think I was 15 and 99. I was a youngin. You born 84? Three. June, though. Well, you. I think you would have technically been 16. Oh, I guess. Okay. Maybe you're right. When when it, when it happened. You, we were close. We were very close. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. So I don't care. <laughs> yeah, like it's like, oh, well, his experience is completely biased. This Nolan Boyd, fifteen-year-old. You were still a child <laughs> at this point, not an adult like me. Um, but I think that 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 we kind of it puts us in a unique perspective in in relation to to this because. So anyway, I wanted to fuck that. That's what that's what we're gonna talk about, Dave. We're gonna talk about Woodstock '99, specific. So sort of specifically, that uh, that documentary. Yes. So, uh, so how did it hit you, Robert? As you drop things. Okay. Uh, it, uh, I don't know, man. It, it made me feel really gross. I think that's what they were going for. Yeah, it, it worked. It was mission accomplished there for sure. Um, how did it hit me? I, I don't know. I, uh, something I realized when I was, after I got done watching it and sort of thought about it a little bit more, I realized that I don't think a lot about this time in my life mm. at all anymore and haven't for a kind of a long time. I don't know why exactly, um, but there was a lot of weird like nostalgia that I that hit me from watching some of this stuff and just remembering where I was when I was seeing... Be, because another thing is... Uh, Obviously, I didn't go to the well. Obviously, I didn't go to this. By the way, me neither. Yeah, no, no, no. And I think I think that's why we're in a unique perspective with this because we were sixteen. We would have been too young to go to this. Sure, sure. And and uh, I'll probably talk about that a little bit more later. But I think that's colors my 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 initial reaction to a lot of it. Right. So the way that I saw a lot of what happened here was through MTV. 
because mm. as they say in the documentary many times MTV News was there and they were covering everything and so as this shit went down and got you know progressively more out of control over the weekend mm-hmm. it was just all over the TV everywhere uh, it was probably on like national news too for that okay night. but uh, I remember the MTV blurbs specifically where they talk about how Kurt Loder was trying to be some weird like in their words uh, oh, I forget I forget what they said exactly but he was trying to be some sort of like um. Like sensationalist or something. I guess, I, yeah, I guess so. They, yeah, and I was like, that, like they were. It was funny because they were accusing Kurt Loder of being like sensationalist and over the top, and it was like that's that, Kurt Loder has never done anything of the sort. Yeah, he's a fucking bored. I mean, he's like a piece of wood. He, you know, he's completely, right. A, a uh, very charming piece of wood. Oh, like he's a great piece of wood. He's he's a fantastic. <laughs> he's he's a fine piece of oak. Uh, but oh, that's what they were saying. They were they were comparing him to like a war reporter. That's right. That's right. Uh, it was like, so one of the things, especially by the end of that, that hit me, uh, that was not at all surprising, was just how shitty these organizers were. Oh, just yeah. What pieces of garbage they were. <laughs> it's really incredible. Is very, yeah, that, that, that was very apparent from, to, to me. Yeah. Even, even, um, if you try to sort of look at what their perspectives or try and look at things from a, uh, even from just like a, a pure sort of capitalist businessman point of view, it was very the footage from the meetings that they were having, the on-site meetings with staff, was very incriminating. Oh. That they were not interested in in hearing about the problems that needed to be solved. These were like the sort of press conference style things where the dude was on a pedestal at a stage taking questions from the audience, and would basic any the way that they present it in the documentary. You know, maybe there were other times where he very thoughtfully understood, you know, very thoughtfully listened to people, what people maybe, had to say. Maybe. But the footage they showed in the documentary is, if that's indicative of how everything else was, then people were, were addressing issues like, hey, what are we doing about trash? What are we doing about this? What are you doing about this? These are th- things that are happening. And he just basically had like a temper tantrum and would rattle off things about, well, if you don't have solutions, if you want to solve that problem, I'll let you come up here and talk on the mic. If you don't want to solve that problem, then you just need to sit down and shut the fuck up. <clears throat> and, but the first step of solving a problem is addressing a problem. Is is it, acknowledging it, that it exists? Exi- yeah, exactly. yeah. So yeah. there was a weird dynamic there of like, I don't, I don't know. It it, it was strange. Yeah, it was it was strange and it was really gross and it was like and so that was that particular incident when he sort of blew up at the person uh, for for demanding you know the problem be I forget what the problem was even at that point exactly but uh, it, this was like midway through the show this was like part way through day two or something like something it wasn't like, like pre planning for the show like the show was in full swing and <laughs> getting actively fucked into the ground yeah. by all by all of these problems that were occurring. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so it was very much obvious that these problems were there. But the entire time, I mean probably for the purposes of the of the interview, if for nothing for this documentary, if nothing else, these guys maintained the two uh co one was like the co-founder of Woodstock and one was like a stakeholder or something to that effect. Yeah. I don't know. But they, they really maintained the like company. They towed the company line all the way to the end. For sure. Uh, of just being like everybody was having fun. Everybody had a great time. So many people had a great time. There weren't too many problems, really. It was kind of fine. And oh yeah, and when he tried to blame everything on Fred Durst, that's oh, what yeah, it was. That's I didn't, I didn't count on Fred. Durst. That, that's that same ass hat. I didn't count on Fred Durst starting a riot. It right. Was, 
it was like, man, like, I, I feel, I feel like you could walk away from that with maybe a disproportionate amount of blame being put on Fred Durst or maybe on, on Anthony Kiedis, even, you know, I forgot about that, but yes, yeah, totally. Um, and I don't really, because I, expecting every artist that you booked on a bill to be uh, Dexter Holland from Offspring and expecting every every artist to be an Eddie Vedder or a Bruce Springsteen or a Dave Grohl <clears throat> yeah. or someone who is going to be mindful of that type of thing while they're performing and and, and being themselves they're you know maintaining their image projecting who they are supposed to be Right. And, and, and being, and it being, you know, part of their, you know, part of their art and part of their integrity and them having the, the clout and the respect to be able to tell, a, you know, 400,000 or however many thousands, 500,000 people to like, Hey, this is how you need to behave here. Chill the fuck out. College guys. To, 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 to expect that all of your artists are going to be that. That's that's quite that's quite a tall order. Oh, dude, yeah, especially for the people that they booked. It, yeah, like, what do you really expect? Well, and especially what those acts represented at that time. Yeah, at that, especially at that time. So that was something that I wanted to riff on totally for a little bit because it when you talk about because so well, so that I mean. That also brings me back around to what I said at the beginning, which is like, I haven't thought about this a whole lot in, mm -hmm. in kind of a long time, this whole period of my life and like what I felt around that time, what I was thinking around that time. Right. And I don't, I, I could be wildly misremembering or just, uh, or just flat out wrong or something, but I don't think even as I was listening to a lot of this music and a lot of ostensibly angry music, I don't think I ever really felt that way to any appreciable degree uh i never had that anger that's an interesting that's an interesting observation i was certainly angry as fuck um yeah well i know that <laughs> but <laughs> that's fine <laughs> you know you had to have the straight man in the uh, in the <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, so for the, if anyone's who lis listening that doesn't doesn't understand why that's fucking hilarious, <laughs> uh, Robert and I have known each other since eighth grade, more or less. Yeah. And we were in a band. We we were in a band together in high school through college. So yeah, and then multiple bands. Yeah, multiple bands. So he's he knows all about m my anger. Uh, <laughs> and so, but but I wasn't. Uh, Along those lines, though, right? So, because there was an aspect of it, of the documentary, uh, that that was like, okay, well, all of this sort of talk about new metal epitomizing toxic masculinity and misogyny, I was like, oh, I feel like this might be a little reductive. I feel like they might be overselling this a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, because I was thinking about what that music meant to me at the time. Yeah. As a 16-year-old. I don't know what it was like to be 22 in college 
and think that Kid Rock was a good idea. Right, right. I know what it was like to be 16 and hear one song, Ba With Ba, and be like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And then to see the performance on this on this video and think like, that drummer's fucking killing. Right, right. I know what that, and like, oh, that pyro's cool. I I know what it's like to feel that. I don't know what it's like to, to be of legal drinking age <laughs> to, you know, to not be a virgin, to be... And and to be really really on board with Kid Rock, so yeah, that might have been a totally different. That's I'm sure, that's a totally fucking different vibe. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, these were co- these were like college graduations in a lot of cases, probably. Right. Uh, you know, early twenties, twenty two, twenty three, whatever. Uh, saying the same things that I know that some of us were thinking at the time. Like, you know, six years on, whatever. What what do you mean? Having the same attitudes that 16-year-old... Oh, yeah, like... You know, middle school, high school kids were having. Right, yeah, it's just Uh, been one of those days. I'm going to break shit. That kind of, you know... Man, and that boy, that Kid Rock performance and some of the shit he was saying. The clip where he talks about, like, this is as political as Kid Rock gets. Boy, that was like... Bill Clinton's a pimp and Monko Lewinsky's a hoe. You could just draw a straight line from there to here. Uh, yeah, that that was that was off-putting. That was really, really off-putting. See totally. that? It's like, oh man. And it, I mean, I have a lot of fucking problems with Kid Rock, um, because, you know, like he was raised in a fucking mansion. Like he grew up with a fucking horse stables on his property or whatever shit like really? that. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I it's might not be surprising. I might mix up the fucking. I might be hitting the details wrong. The so. horses lived in the mansion. <laughs> <laughs> so, so please double check me. Uh, you know, like don't don't take me at face value on this. But he he grew he he had a very privileged upbringing. Like I think his dad was like a like car dealership rich. Um, I think his dad ran a bunch ran a bunch of car dealerships or something like that. Right. So, and and so when it's like, all right, well, when you have like access to that kind of fucking money, like you just you know you just put on a costume to get some fucking street cred, and hired the right people, and you were able to sort of, you know, up you know like have a heavy front investment on your on your music career. You know what I mean? So yeah. like you're not like fucking from the streets and shit and. You know, you're not yeah. you're not like authentically representing black culture and shit like that. Like you you're just you're just doing the same thing. You're just you're just you're just listening to shit you like. And then I thought that that was a really interesting point that someone made about that. You know, they they're you know they're suburban people listening to rap and being inspired by it, but not getting the soul and the R and B and the funk, and just yeah. getting the like. The the bitch and the hoe and fuck you. Yeah, and I thought that was I thought that's a really really interesting point yeah. to like not understand that that like hip hop and rap is on a spectrum like the way that the Eagles and Slipknot are on a spectrum, <laughs> and you're just getting you're you're not getting the rest of the you're you're taking just that one angry intense piece. Right. It, it's it's like watching a movie. It's like just it's like getting a highlight reel and just watching the murder scenes of a you know what I mean and not seeing the whole film I guess pretty much yeah it's extra funny juxtaposed with that uh, super early DMX segment <laughs> on there which holy shit <laughs> I don't even know what song it was he was performing but 
every other word was N-word. Yeah. And the entire fucking crowd, 97.8% white male dudes singing along to every fucking word of it. And DMX, I can't, I can't, I couldn't tell from the footage, because they didn't like interview him for this documentary. Right. I, I don't know how long ago it was. I mean, he's, he's dead at this point, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, he, he didn't get a say in any, <clears throat> any of this stuff as far as the documentary goes. So it wasn't clear whether he thought that that was funny or like if he was like getting one over somehow for, make, you know, what I know about DMX, which is not a, a whole hell of a lot. I don't think he would have given a fuck. Um, also true. Probably. But, but I don't really, that doesn't mean that no one should give a fuck uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. because DMX was getting paid. So I think that that's why he wouldn't have given a fuck. Um, yeah. I don't really know. I don't really know. I don't know. Maybe there's someone, yeah. someone please look because maybe, <laughs> maybe he felt really shitty and conflicted about it afterwards. I don't really know. But I guess that, I guess like the thing is, and like, that's sort of a thing that, I mean, that sort of bumps up against something that maybe not a lot of people understand or realize as well is mm-hmm. that the reason that, that gangster rap took over is because suburban white kids were buying those, could not buy enough of those records. Um, that's a, well, I don't want to say the reason. I shouldn't say the reason, but that was a, that was an, that was a big revenue stream. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For, for that. Because if those records weren't being, think about it like this if those records weren't being, if people like us weren't buying those records, then we wouldn't have seen those records all the time. And music in the music stores we went to, yeah, you know. So I mean, there's a reason that shit was all over MTV, right? Because people like me were, were watching it, right? Like I don't, I don't think that DMX would have been surprised that people that, that a bunch of white people knew the words to his songs, right? That that's what I'm trying to say. That's oh no, best, no, 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 that's the best way that I'm that I'm that I'm trying to say it. And I think that, I think fucking DMX just was like, I'm just gonna go out there and do what I do and put on a badass performance. Yeah. And I think he would have performed the same in front of any crowd. Oh, I don't doubt that at all. I think that that's really just a sort of testament to his sort of intensity and ability as a performer. Oh hell yeah. You know, because I I yeah you get you do get that vibe from him. It's like there's fucking ten people. Like, he's going to do the same shit, you know? Yeah, he's going to dial it back or anything like that. I, I, there's a clip on YouTube of DMX singing fucking Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah. Just, but, like, in a in a room with, like, a reporter lady. And he's just going off. It's great. Yeah, he's, like, banging on the table. Yeah, yeah. He's got a beat and everything. And he's like, yeah. what? What? It's like, <laughs> yeah. dude, this is my Christmas song from now on. His uh, chain's fucking rattling. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. adding, like, a, it's like, oh, it's like, it's like a tambourine track, right? Um, but, uh. But the the point that one of the the uh, interview guys made during that segment was like, uh, black art or not black art hip hop artists specifically during that time didn't really have the opportunity to command a crowd like that mm. very often. So, okay. So even like in that light, he was just taking the opportunity and said, "Fuck it, I'm doing this." Right. You know, and that that alone was pretty cool. Uh, but that segment with DMX juxtaposed with that Kid Rock segment later on was just like. Night and day, yeah. In, in, in a way, yeah, yeah. Is a yeah. I don't know, man. It's the 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 Kid Rock thing. I mean, they really leaned into it in the doc because yeah. I think it. He's a great part of it is because what he has 
of him trying to sort of become like the millennial Ted Nugent or whatever. And, yeah, that's a good way to say it. And so it makes sense to sort of lean into what he, you know, but, but it, it, like you said, man, it, it's a good through line, you know, cause like the yeah. headlines like this past week is him being all pissed off because half his band fucking got COVID <laughs> or I whatever. I didn't see that, but it's yeah. not surprising. Yeah. Right. You know, and he's, he has such an antagonistic, um, <clears throat> presence you know yeah but but whenever so this was the moment so i heard my this is my kid rock journey right i i had like a sampler cd that came with like family values uh not family values uh follow the leader or something yeah yeah one of a record that came out around that time and it had ba with taban i was like oh, okay this is a cool track you know yeah that's a cool riff you I like that track when it came out. I did too. Yeah. I did too. And that's the one they played. That's the clip they have on this video. So I watched it. I was like, this is great. And his fucking drummer is a destroyer. Yeah. Like she does not give a shit. Yeah. And um, I love I love seeing any drummer that doesn't that like performs, you know. And so I was like, badass. But and then I and then I think that I heard that cowboy song and I was like, eh. Oh yeah. That feels a little gimmicky. And then I don't know when it was, but he had some song like maybe why is the name Uncle Cracker popping into my head right now? Because that's a another artist. Okay. Is that did they did they work together? Probably. I don't, I don't know. They were cut from the same cloth, to be sure. But he had a song that was just very much like I'm like I'm 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 very much just sort of remixing the lyrics of like Sweet Home Alabama or something. Oh yeah. It um, might even use the riff. Yes. Sweet Home Alabama. Yeah. And it and it was just such a I, I it, at the time I was it made me want to vomit. It made me like <laughs> want to throw up in my mouth because it's like this is I was like this is this fucking self-referential fucking bullshit of like I'm not going to actually be legit. I'm just going to sing about being legit and then that makes me legit. Like my my music's not going to sound like Johnny Cash. I'm just going to talk about Johnny Cash in my lyrics so see I'm a legit fucking art. You know what I mean? And, and it fucking, yep. it disgusted me at the time. And I was, like, so. I was like, fuck this piece of shit. And that was like his second album or something. So like I, I've, yeah. I've been done with Kid Rock for a good 20 years maybe now. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, and, I bought I bought Devil Without a Cause, I think it was called. Yeah, that, that was, yeah that, that sounds And right. I listened to Baba Daba a number of times, and then I didn't listen to it anymore past that. Yeah. Yeah, like it's it wasn't – and so I guess like I'm, I'm not <laughs> – to our cred perhaps – Everybody makes mistakes. Like, you know. <laughs> what I'm saying is, like, for us being like metal kids, more or less, or, or whatever kind of kids we were, pretty we figured out pretty soon, pretty early on, that Kid Rock was kind of a joke. Oh yeah, and oh yeah, you yeah. know, and so, but, but yeah, so like another thing was, um, let me pull up my notes here. <clears throat> Let's see. Uh, yeah, and so I was still very much into corn at the time. I never really got on the Limp Biscuit train, uh-huh. um, but a lot of people, like a lot of people I knew, were in, really into that first record. Yeah, three dollar bill. Yeah, I was I was really into that record too, and then I fell off the second album. 
That that seems to be what happened to most people because the second album was like more poppy and that was like the song the the record with Nookie on it. Yeah, well, that's what it was. It was like Nookie, and she's like, I don't fucking care about Nookie. And then it was like break stuff, and I was like, I'm not fucking that mad, really. <laughs> right, or I'm not mad, and I'm like, I'm not mad for those reasons. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I mean, it's not it's not even as though I I identified with that first album. It was just a cool new thing. And they did it pretty well. Right. It's a really great record. It's, it's, you know, it's really intense. It feels really sincere. It feels really honest. You know, it has that Ross Robinson magic touch to it. Yeah. Yeah. It has that, yeah, that 1999-ish Robinson production on it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, That, 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 that 94 to 99 Ross, Ross Robinson touch, you know? Yeah. So that, because that, that like feeling of rawness and sincerity, you know? Uh, and the thing, I, the thing that maybe like the most quintessential element of a Ross Robinson production, maybe I don't know. I'm totally, I'm totally talking shit, and and flying by the seat of my pants right here, is because a lot of that music at the time had a feeling for us of like, oh, we can do this. Yeah, and so his productions of sort of letting the warts and all sort of. It didn't feel perfect. Mm-hmm. And so I think that made some of it feel a little bit more attainable for us as like young musicians trying to find our way. Like we really latched on to a corn, you know, um, or things like that. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think about what else he actually did. He did corn, obviously. He did Limp Biscuit. Sepultura, Roots. Sepultura. That was the big one. That was the one that opened all the doors. Slipknot? He did. He did. He did the first two yeah. Slipknot records. Yeah. Uh, he did Burning Red, the Machine oh, Head record. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. Burning Red. Right. He did the Glass Jaw of the f- record, um, which was like more in that metalcore lane. So that wasn't part of our on yeah, our radar at all. Yeah. But he did it. <laughs> Ta da! <Fair> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. So. But yeah. So. But yeah. Like that. That. That first Limp Biscuit record had that vibe. <laughs> Yeah, right. And it did. And so yeah, their second record. The I, the feeling I remember having about Limp Biscuit was this first record was like, okay, well, this is pretty cool. But that was around the time that so Jeremy was really, really into that record. Right. Right. Uh Jeremy Barnes, the guitar other guitarist on All Severed, who he and I grew up playing music together side by side. We learned our instruments together. So our musical evolution was very in step to a certain point. And honestly, there's a very like specific band trip. I remember where he bought like a skater, like a, like a, like a punk rock compilation that had like gorilla biscuits and shit on it. Punkorama probably. Yeah. Something like that. And then he, and he got, um, the Limp Biscuit record. And then I got all those century media sampler CDs and so that's sort of when he and I sort of began to diverge a little bit. So he re- was he he really resonated with that Limp Biscuit record, and I was starting to get into the more like underground metal or the more like re- traditionally metal the stuff like a lot of the stuff coming out for out of Europe at the time, mm-hmm. and um, and then whenever like but whenever that significant other is that what it's that called? was the second one yeah yeah whenever that came out but but like limp is like okay that's something i'm cool with but whenever significant other came out i was like oh uh, yeah i was done with that at that fuck point. that yeah 
and and watching that performance was like that that performance on on there like personified the reasons why for me even though i don't know how much of it i was actually cognizant of at the time but it was just like yeah this disgusting like who are you even mad at what are you doing right well what's fascinating is the their performance on the family values 98 mm-hmm. tour video that's like orgy and romstein yeah. ice cube corn. limp biscuit and corn yeah yeah limp biscuit's performance on that is insane <laughs> It is amazing. I don't it's, know if that was going to be good or bad. It's inspirational. It's so good. Damn. And what I, what another thing that's interesting is that I think the song that became Break Stuff was originally called Cambodia because they played a version of it. I remember, yeah, I remember Cambodia. On, um, on Family Values. Yeah. Yeah, like, totally. And so I think that song became huh. Break Stuff. I haven't heard that song in a long time, so I'd have to go back and compare yeah, I'm pretty sure. I could see that. But they never released Cambodia on any album, so that could be the case. I don't think so anyway. Not right. on the couple that I heard. So so yeah, so I mean like they're they're like a great and I guess that it's it's sort of a di- you know, but that sort of like brings up an- another point, another thought that I had which was this is sort of a whole other <clears throat> a whole other sort of Topic. So something they so here's Woodstock '94, right? Because I had physical media as a child, yeah. And I don't get rid of shit, so I still have it. So also, I just expect this to pop up on a number of these podcasts. It it can't it can't not like the first ten years of of <laughs> like it's so it was so formative for me. Yeah, yeah. But so they really lean into. Some start talking about some different shit. So they really lean into the the differences between those, and I think that for the sake of the story they were telling, they really highlighted the differences between these, uh-huh. and I think that they uh, brushed over some things. So they brushed over how many heavy acts were on the Woodstock '94 lineup. Yeah, you know they didn't. I don't think they talked about Metallica. I don't think they talked about Primus, you know. Because one of the points they kept bringing up in terms of was like 99 being sort of a weird event just in general was like, man, you guys got a lot of metal bands for this. And that was sort of the crux of of their argument for that. Like, you got a lot of metal bands. This doesn't really seem like a – this doesn't really mesh with everything. But you look at this and it's like it's not too far off. It's not, and I, I guess, like, the real difference, though, or, or I, I don't know what the real difference is, but but so just some some notes here. So um, so for Woodstock 94, they had Jackal, they had Aphex Twin, DJ Spooky, Rollins Band, Nine Inch Nails, Metallica, Primus, and Red Hot Chili Peppers. So the only two bands I think that were on both were Metallica and Red Hot Chili Peppers. Aphex Twin was there? Yeah, so they had a whole. So that's another thing they yeah. minimized. They had a whole separate stage at Woodstock '94 called Rave Stock. Oh wow, I that's didn't what know it that. was called. It was called Rave Stock. So this idea of there being like late night <sighs> right. dance is wasn't so wasn't new. Wasn't new for exclusive 99. to the '99. Yeah. It wasn't, and hmm. uh, so, and so, and if you want to talk about like intensity and aggression, which will come upon probably every fucking time I talk about music. The Nine Inch Nails performance on Woodstock 99 might be one of the most intense performances yeah. I've ever seen. 
Yeah, it was, totally. was life altering for me to see that kind of intensity. It, it's it won a fucking Grammy. Like this performance of Happiness and Slavery won a fucking Grammy because they're like, we, don't make them mad. <laughs> I Got saw it. him break that keyboard. Uh, he's he'll do it again. <laughs> Give I, him something. <laughs> Give him a gold thing to keep him occupied. And, and and so it's not that there was not aggressive music um on Woodstock '94. Now the difference is in the way that this music was aggressive at Woodstock '94 and the way it was at '99. There there are a lot. I don't I don't know exactly how to really put my finger on on exactly what those differences are, but um, but one thing that and uh, so another thing I want to mention that I feel like they minimized in the in the doc the documentary for Woodstock 99 is that there were a lot, there weren't a lot of female acts. Right. But there were a lot of softer or a lot of like jam band acts. And so it almost feels like what they were trying to do with Woodstock 99 was balance out and have sort of modern aggressive bands for the, for the younger male audience, but then also tap into the sort of the jam band like the bands that they probably felt were carrying on the legacy of the sixties in some sense, maybe. Yeah. Right. So you have bands like, um, do you have Dave Matthews band? You have Guster, the, the, the airport song that Guster does. First of all, the tripping Billy's performance of Dave Matthews on this Woodstock 99 is fucking insane. It's absolutely, they just destroyed. They don't even have a count off. And I remember as a kid that blowing my fucking mind because <laughs> they just like look at each other. Like, I don't know if like Carter, blows like a number of bubbles like all right when after i blow a bubble that's the downbeat or whatever <laughs> but they just fucking start and it did they just destroy and it's it's so good but but that guster rusted root g11 special sauce uh collective soul isn't on the video but mm-hmm. they were at the festival okay um elvis costello the brian setcher orgus orchestra performance on there it's killer uh willie nelson played Mm, Willie yeah. fucking Nelson okay. played uh, Everlast, you know, which Everlast kind of is in between those things. Uh, Jamiroquai, they did talk about Jamiroquai a little bit, but I guess like what I'm saying is like it's not. This wasn't. This wasn't metal bands and three women performers. It wasn't. But that's kind of the picture that they they try to paint in that documentary for sure. Yeah, the, and I mean, and that's the story they're trying to tell, and those are the points they're trying to make. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not shitting on on the filmmakers. Yeah. You know. Uh, because they're not, they're not trying, because if you were going to try to tell the whole story and all the subtleties, you know, but, uh, I mean, there is something, I, I also can't put my finger on it exactly, but there is something to it. Like 94 is a very, is a much smoother gradient of, of extreme one way to extreme another way. Right. Yeah. And it has a much wider, uh, variety, I think of acts in general yeah yeah Uh, i mean you did have james brown on here too but i i think that what they i think that they hit i think they hit it i do think they're absolutely right and and hit it on the head in this where they talk about that woodstock 94 because i remember having that feeling when i bought woodstock 94 when i bought these uh things yeah yeah yeah. was i bought this and i thought about the woodstock lp in my parents record collection right it felt like it felt connected to that, and I remember, you know, like, oh, mom, look, it's Joe Joe Cocker's on here, and Bob Dylan, and 
I remember, you know, Santana played here, but he wasn't on the video, which I was bummed about. But anyway, mm -hmm. opportunity lost. So there was that sense of like a a generational harmony handoff. That that vibe was more what they were certainly trying to go for that here. Right. And this was just trying to take what I think they were trying to do here was I think they were trying to take what every modern festival was doing and just do it all at once and make all the money. Mm -hmm. Because a big thing that happens in between Woodstock 94 and Woodstock 99 in the American touring landscape was this. Mm, yeah. So Ozfest became a huge moneymaker. That's true. Because Ozfest was not a destination festival. It was a traveling festival. Right. It was a touring. So and new metal that new metal scene by its nature is not that a lot of people that are in in you know a lot of us that were really into that music we weren't we weren't going to drive across 10 states to go to a fest. We didn't have that money no. or that capital. We and, had to work at our pizza shop. True. And let me just say right now, I have never been one. Like, I didn't go to this show. I would not have wanted to go to the show. I, do, me I don't want to go to a show. I've never in my life wanted to go to a show like this. Coachella, Bonnaroo, none of this shit. I don't want to go to I, – I, I've been to some big festivals in New Orleans. I've been to Jazz and Heritage Fest yeah, there yeah. a bunch of times. I've been to Voodoo Fest out there a bunch of times, and I love those. I feel like it's a bit different because that's just in New Orleans, though, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm, you're just going to New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, they're huge. Don't right. get me wrong, but they're not this kind of huge. Well, this thing, you're also going to a field somewhere with all those types of shows. You're going to nowhere right? to live there for a little while. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. So, no, we, we were able to shuttle back to, a, you know, we, we, we had a hotel room, you know, and so, but I, I feel like, and I, I would be interested to see, to check out my, my premise, my thesis here about if there were other, cause I know they talked about like Coachella happening after this. Yes. And having, sort of, having, having learned a lot of mistakes from this show specifically. That's how they painted I, it. Yeah. Theoretically rather. Yeah. I wonder if. I wonder if there were other sort of hippie festivals sort of going on. So, 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 so what I'm getting at is that Ozfest had shown that this young male, this angry young male, was a viable market, right? In a, in a, in a live music sense, right? You know, Ozfest really proved that because they did Ozfest '96, which was just like four dates in California. Then they did Ozfest '99, mm -hmm. which is a full blown tour. '98, another huge successful tour. Limp Bizkit and Seven Dust both played at Ozfest '98, mm -hmm. so there was this sort of. I almost feel like there was almost. There's no way that they booked this, that those organizers booked uh, booked Woodstock '99 without talking about. Oh yeah, Ozfest. No, it was it was huge at the time. And so and so something I just I want to like point out that just makes this thing more complicated is that there's no um you're not going to find a doc a documentary about how terrible and toxic the Ozfest audiences were yeah because that's what they were expecting to like I, so you think no, that's yeah, yeah. why you think that's why? i think it's part of the reason why because you, you expect Ozfest to be crazy so yeah, yeah. if it's crazy and toxic you're not surprised uh, yeah i think so 
because a part of it though i think because part of why that argument doesn't work for me is the nature of the documentary just being so you know one-sided which i think rightfully so in a lot of ways but also they're clearly trying to paint that picture yeah I, i'm i i to, to make it absolutely clear i am not i fully stand behind the story that they're trying to tell with the documentary i think it's an important story to tell because so i'm not trying to throw shade at that yeah 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 uh, I guess what I'm trying, what I'm saying is that there is more to it than just we had some heavy bands there. Yes, absolutely. And so, and I don't know why at a Ozfest you don't. Maybe it's because Oz, it's smaller, it's better run. So I, I guess like, and that's really what it is. I that's guess probably that's probably a big part of it. That's really the 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 story. The story of this thing is like, could this have been avoided if they just had fucking water? I I think the answer is actually yes. You know, I think a, I think the answer is like ninety percent yes. Like this isn't so much about like if we fall into the trap of saying like, oh, this is about Fred Durst and Kid Rock being terrible people and Anthony Kiedis not doing what he should have done and blah, 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 blah. If we yeah. fall into that, then we're really just kind of we're kind of going along with what what the festival organizer is saying in a sense. And it's like, yeah. no, like the that that's not really the issue. Like the issue is that people were stuck in a field and didn't have resources. Yeah, th those things aren't why this festival was shit and failed and exploded the way that it did, like literally. Right. Um, those things are true, but those things are not the reasons why. Like Kid Rock is an asshole and piece of shit, like whatever. Fred Durst kind of sucks. But right. that's not why Woodstock 99 failed. Yeah, you can't. They're not that important. <laughs> Right, like they're not they 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 don't have that kind of of impact, you know. Right. Like they're not they don't ha let's let's not give them that much credit. Yeah, no, it's because there were no porta potties available, and they were charging four dollars for a bottle of water in 1999. Right, which I remember that being a huge sticking point at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, four dollars? What? Because that was unheard of at the time. Yeah, the gas was ninety nine cents. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Just just. <laughs> gas was less than a dollar y'all yeah. okay yeah. i mean it just sounds like every every uh um every bit of planning that went into woodstock 99 was just either not thought out or poorly thought out or some combination right of that so let's make that relative right so if we, if we use gas prices as our as our exchange rate here um that means that if four four dollar water at a three day festival now would be like sixteen dollars somewhere somewhere between twelve and sixteen dollars, mm -hmm. we'll say we'll say fourteen and a half, okay. So, uh, so put that in mind. Like think think about that, and then imagine the fucking audacity these assholes be like. You should have been prepared to spend money. Yeah. So at Voodoo Fest, for instance, which isn't even a camping overnight festival there's water stations yeah you come in you have you know you can bring a container in and you can just keep filling up your fucking water or you buy a bottle you buy one bottle and, and you just go you just keep filling up your fucking water bottle nice. no no fuss no muss as an example right now maybe because they fucking learned 
fair lesson. Like that, I, literally, they bring that point up with the Coachella festival that happens next, mm-hmm. which is like the next year Coachella happened, and they were handing out bottles of water at the door because they fucking learned. Do you remember when we went to that Monster Energy? Festival. Yes, and they were handing out cans of Monster, which was absolutely mind blowing. Or with no, it was Rockstar. Is Rockstar? Rockstar. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like a bunch of fucking like twenty. You know, I guess we would have been like twenty five oh, or something around then. Yeah, somewhere along there. Yeah, like a bunch of like twenty five year old year olds and younger in like a fucking concrete in the Houston heat yeah. and dampness on con like yeah asphalt whatever pavement <laughs> wheelbarrows of fucking Rockstar Energy oh. Jig around. Man, <laughs> am I gonna pay four dollars? Am I gonna pay six dollars for water? No, man, this is free. I'm. I, it's you, liquid. It's still liquid. Yeah, I, I remember seeing people on stretchers, like not like a lot, not like yeah. dozens and dozens, but but maybe maybe three, maybe, maybe two or three. I remember seeing ambulances at the very least. Yeah, so that was a God, that, yeah that was a lot that was a wild time. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Do, do you remember? Yeah, because me and Jet saw those people fucking during Disturbed. <laughs> Did I see that? I remember I, you telling me about that. I don't, I, don't, know. I don't know if you saw that or not. I don't know. It was it was it it took like twenty minutes for it to escalate into full blown. <laughs> like they they were like foreplay and everything in front of everybody. It was it was it Damn. was it, no <laughs> like all like during all that you know. Uh, and it was like, but I mean, like they were they seemed like they really cared about each other. I wasn't mad. Like it seemed like they, they really were... had feelings, you know, during down with the sickness. Yeah, it seemed like they were having a moment, you know. And then when security came up, you know, like security security was cool about. It. They were like, "Hey, man, there's fucking kids around here. You can't do that." And they're like, oh, "Okay," you know. But like, I guess. But anyway, but yeah. So I guess like that. That is sort of a, a big. That that that's a big thing to me. Or what I feel like is a big aspect of what went into creating the bill for Woodstock '99, yeah, is you know, like that, yeah. So I think that's almost certainly right because it's not as though it's not as though heavier music sprang up from '94 to '99. <laughs> like Pantera could have been on '94. Like these things right. were you know, Slayer could have been on '94. You could have had Sepultura on what's like '94. Yeah, yeah. You so sure. it's, it's not as though they didn't. You know. Yeah, and it's not like they had like you could have had Slayer on fucking Woodstock '99 too. Yeah, you know, like yeah, they weren't going with the heaviest of the heavy. Right. You know, they didn't have Fear Factory on there. Like you know, they didn't have. You know, they didn't have a white zombie. Yeah. You know, they didn't have a Rob zombie. They didn't have Deftones, probably because they were already booked for Ozfest '99. Yeah. But that's not well, like there. So interestingly, I if they had had Slayer, if they had had Fear Factory, if they had, had Pantera on '99, it seem it it feels like it wouldn't have been nearly as impactful in terms of what actually happened there. As things, you know, talking about how, you know, I don't think that it was fully uh, Fred Durst's fault. I don't think that it was fully Kid Rock's fault or whatever, or Anthony Kiedis, whoever. But I think that those things definitely had a bigger effect than if Slayer had played there. You know what I mean? Right, yeah, because it, it's almost... There's... Because Slayer wouldn't, Slayer wouldn't egg the crowd on to do shit. It, or, not in that way. Or put out that antagonizing energy. Yeah, it's that's kind of an interesting thing, right? Because 
yeah. Because Fred Richards is actively like, fuck you guys. And, the, you know, everyone's like, fuck y'all. Fuck mm-hmm. everything. Fuck the world. Where Slayer is just like, the world sucks and we're going to burn it down and eat it. But <laughs> don't, you know, be cool. Be cool to each other. Because the people that are here are not the problem. The right. world is the problem. Right. I, I, mean, I, I don't know. Maybe Tom or I might have thought the people there were a problem also. But who knows? Yeah, who, who can say? I, I don't, but they wouldn't, interesting. Have, they wouldn't have brought that same antagonizing energy to this as some of these performers did well there is like an interesting thing when you have when you have music that is next level like when the music itself becomes next level aggressive that there's almost this weird tempering effect to where it it's sort of it's and somehow like takes some of the antagonism out of it, it takes some of the threat out of it right in a, in a weird way where you know because the music, yeah, to, like to me, the music, it's like Slayer, for example, right? Mm-hmm. The music is just intense in a way that you can appreciate, to, to me anyway. It's like, holy shit, that's awesome. It's it's awesome. It's mm-hmm. it's it's uh, intense, but it's very awesome, like in a in a literal way. Whereas like, like, like having awe. Yeah, like <laughs> I'm awed by this. This is fast. This is technical. This is melodic. This is incredible in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Whereas some of the other stuff on there... It's just angry. It's just okay. straight up, fuck this. Okay. And it's not, it, I'm not there to listen. Uh, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, Well, I, I think I know what you're saying, but we need to try to articulate a little better. Yeah. Because it's, it's, bu- what, it's what it's bumping up against to, against is, well, Slayer's music's harder to play, so it's good. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. And yeah, I, I know it's not. Yeah. I know that's not what you're saying. And, and, so, because there is like a sophistication and there is a subtlety and there is talent and there is a lot of hard work that goes into into crafting Limp Bizkit's oh, music. Totally. totally. You know, so we're not shitting on them as, but maybe maybe we're just sort of talking about like maybe the presence. It's very much the energy. You know, the is, stage is, presence. Is what I am talking, a, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe just, well, the, the thing is, is it's like, and I mean, you th- you have to like think about like Limp Bizkit Akatan. Right. And, you know, Limp Biscuit touring on their first record, there was like, who are they? Like, they were touring with heavy bands. They yeah. were on Ozfest. They were, so they were probably very accustomed to this antagonistic, we have to go and win a crowd over. And that was, they probably always hit the stage, like, kind of ready for fucking war because they were probably always playing in front of audiences that maybe didn't want to fucking have anything to do with them that's a good point also and so you take a band you take a band that is has sort of weaponized their stage presence to that yeah and you put him in front of this crowd at the exact wrong time yeah because yeah. that is sort of i guess like that that is that has to be a part of it because there's no fuck that, that was a something that i remember being shocked by watching this footage uh-huh like because there's that shot. I was so glad. Because a lot of the, the footage they used on there was footage from this video. Right, right. And so I was so glad when they showed that footage of Corn playing when it comes in, when Blind comes in. And it just is like this tsunami yeah, of yeah, yeah. people. I, I was watching it with Allison. I was like, I'm so glad they showed that. Because if not, I was going to find it and make you watch it. Because <laughs> it's one of the most awe-inspiring things I've ever seen on film. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. But – 
I remember watching this in 99 and being like, there's no fucking way all y'all know this song. <laughs> like, I'm my high school, like, fucking 20 people know this fucking song. Like, there's no fucking way all y'all know this goddamn song. <laughs> and so maybe there is sort of, maybe that's like a big aspect of it. Like, I don't, but I don't know. Maybe I wasn't in college, right? Like, maybe everyone in college fucking knew who Corn, Corn and Limbiscuit were and were into that shit. But I don't know. It just, it, maybe there was really, this just kind of because that's the thing man like if you especially if you were gonna be a new metal band like slayer could get away with going out on stage and being cool because they're fucking they they're goddamn slayer man like they fucking roll rain in blood they could do whatever the fuck they want to on stage and people are gonna be like oh shit <laughs> you know but if but part of that whole like new metal ethos like you Part of the stage presence, part of the presentation was going out and kind of like replicating a cathartic experience almost. Right. I guess that's sort of what I mean. And uh, I don't know. Maybe antagonistic isn't the right word. It's the right word, I think, for Limp Bizkit specifically. It maybe, is, I mean, I maybe Kid Rock. But I, I don't think it's a wrong word. But I think the, just the, the general vibe of not only them, but like. I don't know, fucking ICP too, to some extent, even though they're way less like, they're way more like, <laughs> fuck pop rap, fuck all of them. Yeah. Fuck that little bitch, faggot ass Eminem. It, That's right. I said, fuck Eminem. <laughs> yeah. Even though, even, even though they're more like, let's just, let's just chug some soda and throw axes and shit. Uh, oh, God damn it. I don't fuck know. Fuck your mom. Fuck your mom's mom. Fuck the Beastie Boys and the Dalai Lama. Like, it's just. God. And it, it's funny, man, but it, what a fucking heel, like what, how fucking crazy is it that like ICP is like now, now like ICP was the one like doing the right fucking things in the goddamn right? pandemic. Right. <sighs> Compared to like what their brand was 20 yeah. years ago. Yeah. But anyway, you were saying. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a good argument there anymore. I was, I don't know. Well, but it, I guess it's like, I hadn't really thought about it like that because a lot of these bands, cause that's the thing, like Metallica has played to the biggest fucking crowds, in the fucking world. Mm -hmm. They're not going to show their ass. Like they know how to do that. Yeah. You know, but all of these young bands like a Limp Biscuit and like a Corn or whatever, especially Limp because Corn was established. Corn was on their third record. Yeah. You know, yeah. they had paid their dues. They had opened for Ozzy and people throw shit at them. Like they had yeah. yeah. They had they had done it. They'd been there and done that, you know? They had they had just headlined their own festival tour, their own big arena tour with Family Values the year before. So like they were established, you know. But Lim Biscuit was like the little brother. Mm -hmm. Was like Corn's little brother at the time. Yeah, And so I think that, I don't know, maybe there's some to that. Maybe there's some to that of you take a band that has developed a very antagonistic stage presence because it's what they've needed to do with the bills they've been playing and the tours they've been doing and the arenas and the venues they've been playing. Yeah, that's not wrong. And, and then you just put it in front of like a crowd that's like really dehydrated. Well, like you said, it was like the exact wrong time. Yeah, for, for that to happen, I think there's definitely a lot to that. Yeah, I, I, you know, in in another another footnote, because I remember reading this, because they they play a lot. They they 
they they lean into that Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, they playing fire, Jimi Hendrix, right? As if it was this very like direct, intentional, right? And I don't know that it was um, because there's like a there's like a recorded version of that, isn't there? Of them doing it, I think they played that on one of their early like pre Blood Sugar Sex Magic albums, right? Yeah. Right. So it's like this is a song that's like. Yeah. They didn't pull this out of nowhere. They're known for covering this song. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. It's like Marilyn Manson playing Sweet Dreams or some shit. Yeah. Not quite that, but it's it's a song that they often play. And Anthony Kiedis said, like, either in his book or an interview that, I don't know if it was like, someone affiliated with Jimi Hendrix had asked them to play that song at Woodstock. Huh. 99. Interesting. That might, I, I don't, I don't, I can't vouch for Anthony Kiedis' character. I can it was there. He was. He was. He was there. He did it. That's why he did it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, okay. Do you, 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 you've read you, you, uh, Anthony? I'm talking about you. Uh, uh, so yeah, I don't know if that. I don't know if that's like some sort of like him trying to deflect and get out of it, and maybe he's like a real shady piece of shit. I don't really know. I really, really like a lot of his music, but that that that's a, that that's something he has said. So, it, yeah, I also can't vouch for them. It doesn't seem like something that they would do, but that the you mean like the Red House would be like, oh fuck this, burn it down. Yeah, yeah, that's not really their brand. Not really their brand, but yeah, who knows? I guess. But yeah. that is certainly the way that they painted it in the documentary, very directly. Right, and I don't think they mentioned that Woodstock that 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 Chip Peppers played Woodstock '94, and it was right. like not a fucking problem. Right. You know, so... The light bulbs and everything was cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Flea, I mean, Flea's dick was out everywhere. And always was, out. Yeah. Always out. Flea's yeah. dick. Always out. So, um... But, yeah. <laughs> Megadeth was there. It's so weird. Yeah. Playing... Yeah. Man. It finished it out with P-cells, I guess. That's 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 <clears throat> the lore, right? That's what they said. Supposedly, yeah. Um, so something, yeah. That that's funny because this is when Megadeth was at their like poppiest, I guess. Or, but they were touring for Cryptic Writings, right? Because Risk was not out yet. Not out. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, and Cryptic Writings is like our low key favorite fucking Megadeth album. It's a great album. So yeah, yeah. That's what when we were. When we were doing like little mini tours, I don't know if you should call you could call it that, but whenever we were driving around <laughs> the fucking state, we were to, driving around the country of Texas. <laughs> maybe soon, um, when we were driving around. <sighs> yesterday, they just announced the whole abortion ban thing, so. among other things. I mean, you can you can conceal carry now. Oh, really? Anyone can without a license or anything or training. That that that, that too. That's there. I didn't know September that. September first. Oh, say can you? Fuck. Anyway, I don't even know. <laughs> Among there, yeah, that was a whole a whole plethora of bullshit went into effect yesterday. I believe today, yeah. yesterday. What is today? I don't know. Um, second. But yeah, whenever, whenever we were younger and Texas was still definitely a state and had no, there was uh, no forecast of it ever not being one or of it becoming... Not actually, anyway. Not actually. Yeah, it was fun. It was cute. Despite the bumper stickers telling you otherwise. Right. Yeah. And uh, But n- it's not as... Like, you can't really say, like, I'm going to secede whenever people want you to leave. 
it doesn't really work now. Like I, I remember fired. No, fuck you. I quit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to quit. Well, guess what? I want. I I remember Henry Rollins in like 2010 or something like that. He did a performance at the House of Blues and went and saw it. And he he had like a good 15 minutes about Texas. Don't secede. You're great and you're amazing. And NASA's here. Don't secede. We love you. We you know what I mean. I don't. Wow. I think that's why you don't see this much of the secede rhetoric because people might tell us to fucking leave. Now. Yeah. Right. Um, like there's the gif of Bugs Bunny cutting Florida off and letting it float into the fucking Atlantic. And that could be yeah, just get more precise bugs. Let's get, you yeah. know, you gotta lift the, the Western half of the state up over Mexico to, to get it out there. It's going to be a complicated build, but you know, I believe in you bugs. Yeah. You can do it. Yeah. I, I, I was talking to a friend of mine today about it and he said, he's like, I just wish that all of the metropolitan areas could, could secede and just let the rest of the state figure that shit out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So that's a solid point. Let's pick up Houston and move it to the north so we can get out of the hurricane zone. And, uh, you know, that would make me pretty happy, honestly. Yeah, I don't, I don't fucking know. But, yeah, so we used to drive around and listen to, Mega, listen to that Megadeth <laughs> right. album a lot, yes. Cryptic Writings, just constantly. That was like our... our Go to sing along record. Yeah, that and we would make fun of that second kill switch engage record. Some of my some of my fondest <laughs> memories of uh, it's like going to get like Taco Bell and like you, Beaumont. Yeah, in Beaumont, and you you guys just <laughs> <laughs> listen to fucking Howard Jones belt that stuff out. No disrespect to Howard. No, that, that's I like that album. It was, just, <sighs> it was just so easy to make fun of. Is all it, it was. Is. It was. It, I. I have a I have a weird I have a weird like hipster relationship with Killswitch. Okay. So You were there on the ground floor. <laughs> no, no, that's not what I mean. Oh, it's not it. Okay. Uh, what I mean is that I like when I heard um when I heard that record Alive or Just Breathing or um My Last and that song My Last Serenade, I was yeah. like, "Oh, this is fucking amazing. This is just like that European shit. Just with some, you know, this is like you know, and then it was really strange. But then, like, seeing how that hit with other people and, like, mm. me just being, like, a, a dork of <laughs> and, like, a jerk of, like, it's like, this is just, it's like, hey, all right, this is fine. But this is just fucking at the gates with, a with like, slower, easier to play shit and some fucking... And some like clean choruses, okay? Like y'all need to calm the fuck down on this, okay? <laughs> Which is a total like that's like a total fucking like twenty two twenty four year old boomer thing to fucking say. Oh, totally. Yeah. At the time. But anyway, but that's that's where I was. That's where we were. So yeah. yeah it's fine. Yeah, no 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 kill switch is awesome. Yeah. I got nothing negative to say about him. Yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, oh yeah, yeah, you're talking about Megadeth. Yeah, it's weird. Dave and his like peak smugness. So God, yeah. But what, yeah, Go was ahead. it was it this documentary he was interviewed? Was he interviewed for this? He was. And he said some dumb shit. Okay, because I was watching something else to do with Metallica the other day, and I couldn't remember if it was that or this. You know, he said some dumb shit in this documentary. I don't I don't know what it was, but it made me curse at the TV. <laughs> Unsurprising. <laughs> yeah, like we're we're sitting on the couch. It's like. 
11 o'clock at night, you know, because we're winding down watching this fucking doc. And, you know, and Dave Mustaine comes up on screen. He said he says like some like he's looking all old and frail and shit, right? Yeah. Okay, that yeah. Is, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say frail, but he he's pretty fucking skeletal <laughs> at this point. <laughs> kind of looking like Eddie over there. You know? But like I I was sitting there watching it and uh, and I don't know what he said, but he said like some 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 like big you know, meta narrative, like that's America or like this could no, you know, land. I don't know what it was. Yes. I don't remember what it was. And I'm like on the couch and I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> like I was just yelling in my house, you know, <laughs> yelling in your house at the, at TV, Dave Mustaine. Um, yeah, he, he deserved it. So another thing I wanted to sort of riff on, cause they, they talked about, I thought it was a really interesting point is sort of, contrasting what was going on in you know the 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 heavier music scene or the things that were really the heavy music quote unquote that was reaching sort of a a pop culture status in 94 and a little and 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 whatnot which was like grunge yes you know nirvana pearl jam soundgarden all that sort of stuff and contrasting that with say Corn and Limp Biscuit and Kid Rock. Right. And I feel like maybe this is where what you were saying earlier about like you're just mad might 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 be more relevant. I think you're right. I be, forgot about that part. Because you know, those early Seattle bands did have politics. Yeah. They, and, and they have very progressive politics. They talk about Kurt gender bending. They, you know, they yeah. talk about the Beastie Boys apologizing for objectifying women yeah. and things like that. And and something that, that, that Dave Grohl has been very, very consistent about, a thing that bothered them, that they had trouble with as a band, was seeing jocks in their audience and when they got super popular and, 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 and not knowing how to deal with like, wait a minute, you like, you were kicking my ass like three years ago. Right. Right. When I was in high school, you were beating the shit out of me because I played this music and now you're here and, and you know, my songs and like not being able to sort of like, what the fuck do you do with that? Yeah. And so they were very consistent and sort of, you know, like not being about that aggro flag, even though they were playing aggressive music. Right. You that, know, listen to that first Nirvana. Listen to Bleach, man. That's some of the most <clears throat> fucking aggressive music you'll ever hear. Yeah. And, yeah. And so, and I, I don't know, man. I wonder if this, whereas like you contrast that to like Corn and Lip Biscuit, Kid Rock, and, and at the time, it's like they just don't have any politics. Yeah, like they're not they're not cons- like like despite, and I, despite what Kid Rock might have you believe. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I it There was just a very there was just a very clear what a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> there was just a very clear difference of of I don't know, lack of a better term, of vibe there. Yeah. Like <clears throat> one was a negative vibe and one was just not so much that right it's like it's like the new metal thing was about like it was it was just and i mean and it's maybe maybe sort of a nature of 
the music, you know, the, the, the artistic medium that it is, is that it was about catharsis. It was about mm. purging these negative things you've experienced. And I am not going to discount that because a lot of these artists experienced some very, very negative things. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Davis, you know, was very open about his sexual abuse, yeah. things like that. And a lot of people had some very negative things to purge. You know, that was, sure. that's why I played this music. Yeah. It's because I had things that I had to get out of me and it expressed in some way because it felt like it was going to kill me if I didn't. And, but sonically, the medium of it doesn't really handle healing from that trauma and moving forward very well. And I remember uh, there was a Maynard interview where they asked him, like, why is, why has your music gotten softer? Why is your music less angry? And he's like, well, be, it's like, if I couldn't heal from playing my music, from performing my art, then what good is it? Hmm. Now, I got fucking problems with Maynard, but but I think, that's so. a, I think that's a really, really interesting point. And maybe because you listen to a Pearl Jam or or, or like 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 the the medium that is grunge and how dynamic that medium is, there is room to grow. There is room to heal. Like that <clears throat> that music can handle more complex emotions. Yeah, the aesthetics of new metal are sadness and anger, and variations on that. Yeah. And just to be clear, I'm not saying that that is a problem in and of itself. No. Just, just that it is a difference. It's a difference. And I wonder if that difference sort of leans, like it sort of might highlight why you have one set of artists having a defined set of politics and another set of artists not hmm. just seemingly being apolitical. Unlike, you know, I'm what a fucking bitch. God damn it, Kid Rock. Fuck you. Like, <laughs> like 99, like, this is political as political as I get. It's like, no one asked you. Like, you're bringing up politics to say that you're not political. And like, yeah. given the trajectory of that dude's career and the things that he says, what a fucking tool. Like, <laughs> you would tension grabbing whore. Oh yeah, fuck that guy. Ugh. Anyway, I mean it's like they go they go into it a little bit in the documentary too. But like this was the age. It's easy for me anyway to forget that this was the age of like we were we were knee deep in like fucking Clinton Lewinsky shit, and the news at this point politically had become just complete farce. Yeah, by now. And this this right. was this was when I started actually paying attention to the news a lot, mm -hmm. so a bit, and it's partially because of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. And this th is... things really changed a lot, and I I don't think I learned that for all, or I didn't realize that for a long time. That's a good point. Because that's a good point. Things changed here, and then a couple of years later, nine eleven, things changed again. Right. And it, that's that's what news has been to me for so long now. Right. It's easy to forget that it was not that for a long time. Right. Yeah. So maybe maybe I should walk back what I said. So because. A little bit about Kid Rock in the sense that, that like... I could kind of see how he got there, I think. Well, just the, like, because, yeah, you're right. That stuff was, the and it seems so tame now, but the, the Monica Lewinsky-Clinton stuff, that stuff really was just 
in the air. Yeah, it was like fucking earth shattering at that point. Yeah, like it, it felt like it felt like it was a thing you had to walk through. Yeah, to get and I, if I remember that as a sixteen year old, like it was getting down to me as a sixteen year old. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Then it was it was probably fucking pretty fucking thick, and so yeah. Um. But I mean, the thing that he said also was stupid, but. Still, uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. fucking for that, but uh, but yeah, yeah, and yeah, because this this does sit in a weird spot. Now, well, this would have been after Columbine, though. Do they talk about that? I don't think they did. I I can't. I always get it mixed up whether Columbine happened in ninety eight or ninety nine. I can't remember. I exactly. always I mean, think it's ninety eight, but I think it was actually ninety nine. Um, someone knows. So, but yeah, what a weird, so, and I guess like, this is a, there's a weird thing to media that sort of happened in that, like, in that late, like, that sort of pre-Y2K before September 11th. And it's, it's sort of impossible to overstate the effects of those, of those of like September 11th and of Columbine. That yeah, Columbine yeah, huge. So there really was there really was a pre-Columbine was a different vibe than post-Columbine and so yeah, so you almost have like pre-Columbine and then you have post-Columbine and then you have September 11th. Yeah. You know. The Y2K thing felt like just more of a spectacle. Like I don't I don't really <laughs> The Y2K thing is very weird because everyone was – you look back and it's like everyone was hyping it up is the feeling you get. It was 99, April 99, so like four months before this or something. Okay, okay. So, yeah. yeah. Three months. I don't know. The feeling that you get was – and especially as like our age was like everyone is hyping this up as some apocalyptic event and it's Y2K. I remember playing – we played at Doug's house. On New Year's Eve. The one out in Kennefick? Yeah. Yeah, weird. Oh, yeah. Dude. Yeah, the Doug out in Kennefick. <laughs> oh, Kennefick, Doug. What, but what's crazy about Y2K is that it actually could have been completely catastrophic in a lot of ways. Mm. Uh, it's just that people did a shitload of work okay. to fix it. Really? Which I didn't know for a long time. Okay, t- educate me. Tell me about this. So you know, you know what the problem basically was, right? So this is my, like, surface awareness that I had at the time, which is like, oh, well, we programmed all these computers and the date, when the date rolls over, it's going to fuck everything up because we didn't make this shit four digit. We made it two digit. Pretty much. And, and that, that's my understanding of it. That's the crux of the problem. Okay. That they just didn't allocate enough space to give a full year for a year for the information that a year needs. Right. Okay. So, if it said 99, that could be 1999 or 1899, so on and so forth. When it rolls over to 2000, is it going to think that it's 1900, actually, and uh-huh. break everything? And this isn't just like, it's going to break my bank software, which is already bad enough, but it's like flight computers or whatever the fuck else might right. use this stuff uh, because it was you know becoming more and more integrated at the time. But the lead up to it, be- it was like so fierce and so intense – and so many people did the work to fix it mm. that it wasn't a problem. Okay. And so because it wasn't a problem when the time came, everyone was like, 
I didn't know a fucking big deal. That was my 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 read on it was like, oh, we people were worried for nothing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which why wouldn't you think that? Right. Because but, nothing happened. <laughs> but in reality, in reality, of, shit could have happened, but people hmm, fixed it. A bunch of people. Huh? Yeah. You're telling me people, smart people, <laughs> right? Who fucking know what they're talking about, who spent like a lot of their time like studying this exact thing, were able to fix the problem. This is not relevant. Mm. This is not relevant at mm. all to no. to uh, 2021 here. No, let's hmm. just uh we should just table that. Let's just forget on. about that. Just yeah. push that off the yeah. smooth that on. So um but yeah, like I don't know, but I, I so comparing grunge artists to the new metal artists, I sort of I don't know. I'm trying to connect some shit pretty loosely here, but I wonder if there's something there of that just the nature of the aesthetics of grunge music and the the way that aggression is handled in grunge music sort of makes it easier or it comes with it this sort of sense of having a politics or, or considering like, well, okay, now that I've gotten this out, what now? And, you know, just considering these things, whereas new metal was all about just being traumatized and not feeling alone mm-hmm. is and being bonded through your aggression you know and i mean and i think that there's different demographics like there was there was a reason that grunge didn't you know hit for me you know there was a reason that i was like man i want nirvana to be angrier because i was angrier right you know yeah yeah and so but 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 yeah like i i wonder you know i think that it was i don't i don't know that i have anything uh, profound or pertinent even to say about that but mm-hmm. i think that there was some sort of a difference yeah and and i mean and just to be clear you know or something i want to add to this because when you talk about new, new metal is such a weird fucking genre yeah because they're like who are the big new metal bands they're like corn limp biscuit and slipknot <laughs> and it's like oh because those bands sound all sound alike yeah you know new metal and uh, so it's so strange that that new that, that Slipknot gets, you know, they get put in they get put in with that because that's the time period that they became known. Uh, to me, they're more shock metal. I guess they're more they they ha- they have more in line with White Zombie and Marilyn Manson and Rammstein and things like that. To me, but I, I mean, I think people just classify anything. That is metal with a dash of hip hop in there, as, as new, new metal. metal, and that's what it is. Yeah, so, like people call Rage Against the Machine new metal, and that's <sighs> like not even remotely. Yeah, that's weird. So yeah. that's weird. Yeah, but what I wanted to what I wanted to point out was that seeing them because I saw them play. I mean, I saw I've seen Slipknot play a bunch of fucking times, but I saw them play. In um, 2001, October 2001 in Dallas, the Pledge of Allegiance tour. Mm. So this would have been like a month after September 11th. Yeah. And so, and when they did Heretic Anthem, um, or maybe before they did it, maybe before they did it. So Corey did a whole speech. And because we talk, we know, because I've been talking about like new metal bands not having politics or like really aggressive bands, maybe they don't have politics mm-hmm. or something like that. And I just want to kind of show a counterexample to that because Corey Taylor came out on stage and he 
he talked about September 11th, how they didn't want him to do the tour, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and like you have to understand the time period. You have to understand what it was like to be in the United States right after September 11th. Everyone was everyone was on board yeah to fuck somebody up yeah yeah and so all you, you didn't ha- you would you didn't have to say much and any crowd was going to be yeah. right okay and that's not what Corey did like he might he might have said like let's fuck up the people that are responsible for this but he but like very vaguely sort of he might have said that but sure. what he did say what he leaned into what i remember very specifically 20 years ago was he talked about how there had been an increase in hate crimes since September 11th. Mm-hmm. And you need to cut that shit out. Right on. And so think about that. Think about, you know, because we're talking about like Limp Biscuit. Oh, it's aggression. It's blah, blah, blah. Think about, think about Slipknot and think about what Slipknot represents. Think about what Slipknot represents visually. Think about, think about the, the catharsis that's involved with Slipknot's music. Think about the aggression and intensity in a Slipknot show. You think about supposedly like what kind of audience is going to be attracted to that. You think about the the violence that could be incited at a Slipknot show. All those types of things. Yeah. And then you have the mouthpiece of that band who has you know a crowd in the palm of his hand, and he says, "Hey, stop the fucking hate crimes. Those have increased since this terrorist attack, and you need to fucking stop it." I don't know. That's a big fucking deal to me. Yeah. So it made a huge impact on me at the time. Yeah, I can I can totally see that. There is there is footage of Corey Taylor yelling, like shouting Fred Durst out though, of like saying he'll fucking <laughs> really? kill him and shit like that. <laughs> because apparently at some point Fred Durst said that like slipknot fans were a bunch of fat kids. <laughs> and they asked, they they fucked up and they're like, we're gonna ask Corey Taylor about this on like MTV. Oh my god! And he went full. He went full Eeyore, and, <laughs> and was like, "We'll fucking kill you," <laughs> you know. Wow. But well, but and he was real eloquent about it too because he was like a lot of slip. <laughs> he was like a lot of Slipknot fans. He's like a lot of Slipknot fans like Limp Biscuit. So are you saying your fans are a bunch of fucking fat kid weirdos? Are you saying you don't like your own fucking fans? I love, I love all of our fans. And we'll fucking kill you. Like he just, he went full. Right into it. Went full. It was, it's, I'm sure the clip's out there. It's, it's, it's something, but. Good. But yeah, so. Anyway. I don't know. What I keep coming back to here is just, maybe the Fred Durst is just a real real asshole. Maybe (laughs) maybe Fred Durst is just a real piece of shit. (laughs) This, This is not, this is not unknown. This is not new information to anyone. I knew this coming into this room tonight, but boy, is just getting driven home more and more as we talk. <laughs> I, boy, I don't know that I agree with that. <laughs> I do. I said it. You're like that motherfucker cast John Travolta in a movie. Fuck. Yeah, because Fred Durst like wrote and directed a movie, cast the John fan, Trump. right? Yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah, so, I don't know. I, I, I honestly, I don't feel like I know enough about Fred Durst to be like that guy's a piece of shit. So he's saying, yeah, sorry. He saying he is a piece of shit, probably a bit much saying he 
was and acted like a huge piece of shit. At Woodstock 99? Around that time period in general. Yeah. A good three or four years. I mean, that was kind of his whole vibe. Exactly. That's my point. That's really my actual point, was that he... Maybe he wasn't a piece of shit, but he was that piece of shit. Sure. Right. That that was his brand. That was he he fucking got off on it, whatever it was, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was what I never got behind. That's that's a fair point. It's uh, it it's almost like it's almost like now if you like, all right, we have this we have this crowd, we have this crazy crowd. They're you know, they're hungry, they're you know, they're dehydrated, they're really hot, they haven't slept, there's lots of drugs and mud and piss and shit. Hey Kanye. Why don't you <laughs> why don't you go out there and try to like talk some sense into them? It Dude. it's almost like that. I mean, I think Kanye's on a different level artistically than Fred Durst. That's not that's not the parallel I'm trying to well, make. Well, I mean, there, there just... are like levels, and then Kanye is like perpendicular somewhere, like going off this direction. <laughs> on, on yeah, yeah, okay. So like I have no disrespect for Kanye as an artist, but we everyone can agree that like his persona is quite spectacle driven. Absolutely. And quite antagonistic and he's quite known for saying crazy shit. Oh yeah. He's not the one, he's not the, he's not the like, he's not the cooler heads will prevail that you hand the microphone to, to calm down a half a million people. Right. And maybe Fred Durst wasn't either. No. So, so, but yeah, I don't know, man. Is there anything else that you want to fucking throw out? Uh, Good on Dexter Holland for being like a pretty cool dude. Right? <laughs> I didn't really expect that. Right. Uh, even though he like th- kind of threw in a weird little like jab at the end there of his spiel of like, he said something that made me, uh, basically he had a spiel on stage where he was like, hey, when girls are crowd surfing, don't grope them and shit like that. That was his basic thing. And he he had this whole thing that he did. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said one little thing at the end. And I was like, mm. and he was like, yeah, so if there's a guy, then grab his dick. That's what it was. I was like. You were doing so good, but it's it's funny, but it's not even a big deal. Just like right, whatever. Yeah, it, we it, should. It was a cool thing to say. Yeah, good call. Yeah, we, um, yeah, we should. I mean, we probably well, we didn't talk about it at all. But so, uh, you know, but we didn't talk about like all the sexual assault stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, which was like a huge uh, point at the time. Just. In general, as information about everything that happened there came out, do you remember like, that? Yeah, totally. Okay. Like, like uh, as far as MTV News went, which is where I got like a lot of my information about it. Yeah. It was the fires, and the riots, and the sexual assault. Like mm. those were the things. Yeah. Yeah, like it. I don't know, man. It's a. It's a really. It's obviously a very very terrible fucking <laughs> thing, and and it's. It's hard for me to wrap my head around because I never engaged with this music, like this aggressive music. I all the, the aggressive music that I engaged in, I always engaged with it in a very uh, personal and a very very dedicated way. It was the music was never an excuse for me to do some violent shit that I wanted to do. Yeah, right. The music was always a very you know, I was never. It was never casual. It was never like, "Oh, put that song on in the background while I." You were into it for the music's sake. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I was the same. I think. And so to think that some of this music, like corn, 
specifically because you know corn's music meant a lot to me especially that first record and to think that someone would be inspired by that music which was a lot of its a lot of its you know impetus was to try to deal with sexual assault to try to deal with trauma and and yeah. and, and to think that someone would would be would miss the fucking mark so much and be, you know, or like, I guess be inspired by that music or to felt feel safe in the environment of that music to assault someone is, I don't know. It's fucked up. And because I always think in all of the metal shows that I went to, that I've been to, which is, quite a fucking lot at this point and a lot at that time I I don't there was usually a look out for each other moment you know look out for each other vibe and there was I I'm not saying that it didn't happen right you know I'm not saying but when and all the things that I saw at all the concerts I went to, there was there was normally a sense of looking out for the girls that were there because there weren't there were never that many. And yeah. you you I don't know. Like that that was just normally the sense of things. There wasn't definitely. You know, like when whenever a girl would come up that was crowd surfing, it wasn't like, oh, I, I this is my chance to grab some titty. Right. You know, that wasn't that wasn't the ethic at the metal shows that I was going to, at, you know, at the time and whatnot. I'm not saying that those things never happened. Oh, I'm at, sure at they the, did. At, you know, I'm Somewhere. not saying, well, though, that didn't happen at Ospice 99 or that didn't happen at Tattoo the Earth. That's yeah. not what I'm saying. Um, but it's, you know, so it's just, it's. I mean, it, it was such a big deal at this show. I think just because of the nature of this show having been such a perfect storm of shit for so much of this stuff. Right. And it was so like, that's part of the reason it, it became so rampant because it was extremely rampant f- by all accounts. Yeah. Um, and I think that just l- lends credence. Like you're saying, like of all the shows that I was ever at as well, I never saw something like that happen again to say, not to say it never happened. Of course. But every crowd that I was ever around, I'm not going to say that, 90% of the crowds I was around at metal shows were very, like, cool in terms of taking care of one another. Very, like, familial in a weird way. Yeah. Um, and I just think that just lends credence to how big of a fuck-up this show was mm. that it did become so incredibly out of control. Yeah. And it became okay and it became encouraged to right to do that kind of shit right and it you know and it's i get and i i have to i have to like point this out too um so because i grew up like okay in 2000 so like the year after this okay i went to the tattoo the earth um festival it was in pasadena the pasadena fairground texas song. Yeah, Pasadena, Texas. Thank you, because we, because we know we have international 
listeners. Whenever I hear Pasadena, I think Texas, but everyone else in this country thinks California. I f- I forget that there's another Pasadena, so thank you for clarifying. Uh, but yeah, uh, so yeah, what I'm what I'm getting at is that I have a tendency to sort of look back at the metal scene with sort of rose-colored glasses and think about what it meant to me and extrapolate that to everyone else that was there. Mm. And I know that that's not true. And so a case in point, I remember being at, it was 2000, uh, like August of 2000, Tattoo the Earth, and uh, Seven Dust was playing. Mm-hmm. And I was watching them perform, and they were fucking killing it. Just amazing live band. I, I'm more. I, I, I love Seven Dust. I, I know that a lot of people don't, but because they are sort of somehow this pinnacle of like bro metal. But it's not that I don't love them. I just kind of never got into them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, oh, there's some people out there that definitely do not like them. Um, um because for those reasons, but. But I know you love them, so yeah, yeah. Any, but so that like they get off the stage and they, and like like Slayer's next or something like that, and then there's a dude over here who like says something, something, something. They shouldn't have let that N word on stage. Mm. Talking about Lejean Witherspoon, lead singer of Seven Dust, and when I heard that. I thought, oh, this guy's clearly an extremist Nazi. This guy, this guy is an absolute minority. This guy's, this guy's views do not represent anyone here. And because at the time I was, I was a football player and I was even, I was very aggressive. And so I, I like threatened to smash his head on the rail or some some shit like that or whatever, and he left. But that's not the point. Like the the point is is that at the time I was like, yeah, I ran into this one asshole. Mm-hmm. What an asshole! What an idiot asshole! Yeah. And now I'm understanding that that there wasn't just one of those guys. He was just the one who said what he was thinking. Sure. There were lots of people there that were thinking that. Yeah. And almost certainly. That's really hard for me to deal with. <clears throat> I don't I don't like I don't like thinking about that. <laughs> no, because I know, I mean, I'm sure you felt it more than I did, but even for me when I went to metal shows, I viewed that environment as like a safe space, as like a community of people who thought similarly to i did and yeah had the same maybe some of the same values that's and it. it was a very known thing that if you know if you go in the mosh pit somebody somebody falls down you help them pick them you pick them back up because everyone's here for the same reasons right and we're both we're all bonded by this extreme form of expression so we all have something in common yeah and yeah you always felt very familial that's a very good way to describe it at metal shows. It it felt very it was like, all right, I'm with my people now. Right. And to think that like, oh shit, well half my fucking people are goddamn racists. Motherfucker. Like that's Yeah. It was it was very I mean 
I like to think, I, may, I don't know, maybe he wasn't, but I like to think that it was very simple to think that at that point. What do you mean? Because you didn't have a, a fan page or a Facebook page or some shit that you could go to after the fact and see all the people that were there commenting on, you know, or, or the YouTube right. video and right. see the people who were actually there and what they actually think about that kind of shit. Yeah. You just saw them there and then you, and while you were there, things were cool and then you left. Yeah. You so were... in your mind, it was like, that is what I think it is. That is what it is. Yeah, you were really able to sort of let your interpretation of the event yeah. kind of become and, and assume that that was everyone else's sort of interpretation. Right, you can like, really extrapolate that out to everybody else there. Right, like, oh, I saw these great bands. And then someone else is like, oh, well, that one had that black singer. Ugh. You know, yeah. and you're like, what the fuck? Like, you know. Right. Um, and the, but yeah. I was just, I just happened to be next to a guy who felt safe enough to say it because Slayer was next. Yeah. And like, I'm, you know, and like, well, why wouldn't he say, be able to say it in front of me? I'm a fucking, I'm a, you know, apparently I look racist enough because I'm, you know, a fucking 17 year old football player, you know, (laughs) with, I think I had like, I had like a sleeveless shirt on and shit like that. Like I was with like combat boots or something. It was total, <laughs> okay, total. Like my, I, this was my black cat because I, I worked at right, a firework right, stand. Right, so right, I don't right. know if you remember my black oh, cat totally. shirt. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, so, but yeah, I don't know. And I, I feel like that's a thing that's going to come up a lot as we sort of do these things is sort of having to wrestle with, the idea that what these things meant to you is not what they meant to everyone else. Yeah. And that, that's a shitty one. Um, yeah, this is really funny. So did you notice this on this Woodstock on this Woodstock 99 box? So they were trying to get a little bit ahead of the, of the branding of the messaging here. So on the VHS, yeah, okay. On the VHS box for the Woodstock '99, they have a was it is it Rain? Yeah, Rain, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, a nonprofit in DC. Yeah, uh, so they have basically a helpline here. Right. Uh, I think they actually mentioned this in the documentary too, if I if I remember right. So it's basically a it's basically an advertisement for a helpline. If you have experienced any of those things, you can call this number and get help. Right. Uh, putting it. Putting that on the case for this event is <laughs> fucking wild. <laughs> I have never seen anything like that. You fucking imagine that? <laughs> I have never seen. I mean, it's imagine it's, that being like Eric Clapton, like Crossroads. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's I guess it's ten times more wild because I know why it's there. Because some, you know, you might see something like that these days because they are in partnership with it. They sponsored we ca- it. We care about this cause. Exactly. Whatever. The people, yeah, the people who put on the show care yeah. about this cause and they just said, we're going to put that on there. But I know why this is here. <laughs> and it is fucking nefarious. Yeah. Well, I mean, good that it's there. Sure. Of course. Totally. But, of course, yeah. But, wow. That's clearly. I didn't see that. Yeah, I didn't either. I, I'm just fucking looking at it. Like, yeah, it's clearly like trying to get ahead of some publicity. So, Dude. so yeah, so there you go. Look at that. Look at that shit. Oh. Wow. Um, Motherfucking wolf. Wolf. Yeah, so 
So uh, yeah, man, I, th- I think that's I think that's all I got. Yeah, that was a that was quite the that was quite the trip, quite the experience. Yeah, super great fucking documentary. I highly, I, I highest possible recommendation. If you're interested in, yep. if you've thought about watching it, watch it. It's extremely well done. They talk to a lot of really really interesting people who have really really great perspectives. Yeah. All, yeah, we didn't really mention the interviewees at all, but they did some pretty good segments in there. I really, really enjoyed. I wish I could. Re- I, I wish I could remember her name. I need to see what other work she's done. But the the blonde woman. Yeah, she you know, had her on a lot. Yeah, she just was always just fucking like nail on the head. Yeah, constantly. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I really enjoyed everything she had to say, and and so, but yeah, like I guess. Oh, the security guard. <laughs> I want to mention the security guards. That was a wild detail as well. <laughs> Where uh, apparently the sec- <laughs> apparently the security for this event, they just got like the lowest common denominator dudes in a room, told them the answers to the test, let them pass it, in order to get them out there. And then immediately when they got to work, they just like turned their shirts inside out, put their name tags in, and then just watch the show. And then there was basically no security for days. Is how it turned out. That was insanity. <laughs> Like wow, having having worked security at an event or two, I this is beyond insane. <laughs> that is beyond insane. Like literally, just you, you want to be a security guard? All right, here's how you you passed. All right, go do it. You don't have to though. I'm not gonna watch. Yeah, I just yeah, it's just another another like sort of variable that is in I so I I did I did a little bit um of like when I had first started training uh jujitsu at at Elite MMA, I did a I don't even know but it's like, hey, do you wanna work security for this MMA fight? I don't even know oh, okay. who I knew who knew someone, but I so you know help build the cage, put on the event staff shirt. Oh, cool. You know, and I'm in, you know, and I'm in the stands, standing around, you know, and and whatnot. And and I guess sort of to maybe support the point of what a fuck show this was by not having security guards or not having that that sort of thing handled is that just my mere presence of having that event shirt on, like it was it was it was ice in the room, you know, like I could, you could walk around and if you, like if someone's getting crazy and you just get closer to them, they calm down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so that's kind of like what your job is as a security guard is to be, or as event uh, staff. A deterrent. It, yeah. You're, you're just, you're a bunch of like little fucking ice packs trying to keep <laughs> the temperature down. Yeah. Cause people expect that if you are if you made it to that point to be a security person at an event like that you are the kind of motherfucker who will rip their shit out of the situation and throw them out yeah that you have that authority right that you have that authority and, to and remove probably them. the ability yeah chances are if you're yeah. you know or you at least have the ability cuz there was it was because it was one dude who was getting a little bit rowdy and i like i just went up to him was like hey you know let's just let's just keep it down and like just me going over there, I get it was it was a pretty tame event. So everyone else was like, 
are like like backup was in route. Okay, okay. You know what I mean? So and but I mean but that's so like even if you're not like intimidating, I was right. I was I was real fat at the time. I don't know how I don't think I was intimidating. Well that's my point. You don't have to be intimidating. Just if you get to that situation But you have the authority. Right. And you have yeah. the and 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 you will call the people. Like you will hey we got a problem here, Bob I need you help you. Yeah, and yeah. so I can't imagine if you were to just remove that element, like, like really sit with that and imagine a festival without the litter, the event staff shirts littered throughout. Yeah, man. Especially as big as that, 500,000 people. I can't even, I can't Oof. imagine. I can't fucking imagine. I can't fucking imagine. So, so yeah, that's, that's another solid fucking point. Just good Lord. <laughs> to bring up. So, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, anyway, great, great fucking talk. Yeah. Check it out. Um, on HBO Max. Yeah. And all the, but yeah, like I guess, and I, I, if I was going to add anything else to it, it's just if any of the stuff in there sort of hits you as being a little, a little like, oh, well, I don't, I, what am I trying to say? If you feel like they're leaning into the sexual assault too much, or if you feel like they're leaning into the racism or any of those things too much, those things were a real undercurrent during these music scenes at that time. It's not something that that I'm comfortable acknowledging because I was a very much my identity is very much wrapped up in in, you know, like the new metal scene and whatnot. I don't I don't want to mm-hmm. I wanna think that like that music scene and the and the bands that represented it and everything was just it was just smooth sailing and just like high high ethics and da 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 da. But that's not the case. And so, if you if those things make you uncomfortable or whatever, you feel like the doc leans into it too much. Like, be assured that it's real and that does ref, it does reflect a reality of of that music scene. Um, you know, not not the entirety of it, of course. Yeah. But there is there are real aspects of it. So it's not they're not they're not editorializing. So Yeah. For sure. Anyway. Adios. Peace.